in my kitchen, there is a magnet that says trials are not enemies of the faith, but opportunities to prove God's faithfulness. In the midst of this global pandemic that we are facing, the Lord is testing his people. He's testing to see if we are going to be people who trust him. If we're going to be a people who are looking completely to him because he alone is our refuge and strength. As a faith family, we've gone through some trials of trying to figure out how can we gather together safely. It was confirmed this week that we had a staff member test positive for COVID-19. And out of abundance of caution to protect our faith family, to protect our staff and their families, and to protect our community, Last week and today, we decided to do live stream only for these two worship gatherings. Uh, What we want to do is we want to slowly begin opening up our campus to regather again. Uh, Next week, we're going to open up for one service at 9.30 a.m., and we invite you to come. You can reserve your seat uh, online tomorrow morning by going to our 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 uh, website, gowestwood.org forward slash regathering. And starting at 8 a.m., it'll open up and you can reserve your spot for next Sunday for a 9.30 gathering. We're going to go slow and take our time. We want to make sure we keep everyone safe as we walk through this together. Now, one thing we're going to be doing as well starting next week is making face masks required for all on-campus life groups and for worship gatherings. You see, we want to do this not because it's forever, it's temporary, it's for a season. We want to keep you and keep other people safe. This is a time in which we as followers of Jesus get to model the gospel and we get to show the world about what love of neighbor looks like. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul says, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. And one of the ways that we get to live at peace with one another is through protecting one another by wearing a mask. Now, did you know that people have lots of opinions about these things? I don't know if you've seen it online or not. Maybe it's just me. But it seems on social media, everyone has a strong opinion about this. But for as followers of Jesus, we don't bank upon our opinions. We bank our lives upon the scriptures. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul gives instruction to God's people, particularly the Philippian church, on how they are to be together as one. And humility is what is going to hold the church together. It's interesting where Paul is crying out for unity in the Philippian church, in which he says this, in chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, Paul says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, If any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Paul's saying, listen, I want us to be together with one in spirit and purpose. We're going to be together. Well, how in the world can a church that's diverse experience unity? It's when everybody puts on love and everybody puts the needs of others before themselves. Paul is calling out for humility. He says in verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Consider others as more important than yourselves. 
everyone should look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so we get to model the gospel by putting the needs of others before ourselves. And one of the ways that we get to love one another and to preserve church unity is by wearing a mask. So we're going to ask everyone to do that for this season so that we can protect one another as we go through this together. And this is what it looks like as followers of Jesus, because Paul goes on to say in verses 6 through 11, he writes out a hymn that the early church would sing together, pointing to Jesus, who took on the form of a servant, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Paul is saying, if you want to know what humility and love and unity looks like, look at Christ. There is the one who not only displayed perfectly what humility looks like, he goes on record and he purchases humility for you and for me through his cross. And so now you and I, we get to display Jesus. We get to bring glory to God by not sharing our opinions Not by saying how right we are and wrong everyone else is. Not by saying that this is what all the facts are saying. We're saying, listen, I'm going to put my opinion to the side. And I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to humbly put others' needs before myself. I don't want to be a stumbling block to my brother or to my sister. And so I'm going to wear a mask. You see, this is what it looks like to be a mature follower of Jesus in which we grow in humility. We're looking to put the needs of others before ourselves. And we model this gospel together until that great and glorious day in which we see Jesus face to face. You see, as followers of Christ in our Westwood family, we labor together so that one another can hear those words from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. And as we love one another, as we encourage one another all the more, as we see the day approaching, let us continue to grow in humility and in unity and seek the blessing and the good of our neighbor. What a testimony to our community and to the nations by declaring that Jesus is greater than my own political opinion. Jesus is greater than my own opinion on this virus and all that we're experiencing because I want to speak words of life and love and affirmation about Jesus and to one another with God's people. And this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that is what Jesus is pointing us to in Mark chapter 8. Let me show you. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 8. I encourage you to go ahead and turn there in your scriptures there at home. I know many of you are still in your pajamas eating your cinnamon roll. Just put that down for just a minute. Lick your fingers and let's open up God's word together. For those kids who are with us, I am so, so glad you are engaging with us this morning. I want to encourage you uh, that when you are hearing the scripture to draw out what you hear, Uh, I have a whole stack of pictures that kids have have given to me uh, that they have drawn for me during this pandemic. And so, I mean, I've just got picture after picture of all of these great drawings that kids are sending to me and giving to me. So I want to encourage you kids, just draw out pictures. You can doodle, outline, but whatever makes sense, because here's what happens. When the Bible speaks, 
God speaks. Whenever you have a time to open the scriptures and hear the word of God, God himself is speaking to you through his word. And so I want to encourage you just to lean in and listen for what God is preparing to say to you through his word. A couple of weeks ago, I asked several of you uh, to, as a church to just send me some words of encouragement of how Jesus is on the move in your life. And, and there's this, this note I received that is just gold that I wanted to share with you as a faith family. It brought great encouragement to me, and I thought it would encourage you. This person wrote, the family of Westwood means so much to me because it is truly that, my faith family. The Lord has been so kind to me. I cannot be thankful enough. My spiritual DNA consists of Westwood church members and pastors. It's because of God's love to the world that he sent Jesus, and through faith in him, we are saved. I now stand on the faith shoulders of the Westwood pastors, staff, and people. And praise God, the Lord is doing a work in and through our church, even in the midst of us not gathering together. Even when we cannot be in the same room together, Jesus is still on the move and the Lord is working in and through you and your life. We've been walking through the gospel of Mark as a faith family. It has taken us 25 sermons to get to Mark chapter 8, verse 33. But when we got to verses 34 and following, we, we slowed down because here we see Jesus giving a teaching on what it means to be a disciple. Here in the text, we see Jesus laying out for us the cost of following Christ and what it looks like for faithfulness as a disciple of Jesus. And in verse 34, Jesus lays out the expectation of being his disciple. Jesus is not interested in people who are making a quick decision, they're converts, but then go live however they want to. That's a false conversion. You can't claim to know Jesus and live contrary to who he has called you to be. You see, Jesus is not some sneaky salesman who's trying to get you to sign the bottom line and then ignore the fine print at the bottom. Here in the text, Jesus is being abundantly clear on the front end of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, eternal life is at stake in what Jesus is driving home here in Mark chapter 8. He is driving home of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And it begins with verse 34, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. You see, this call to be a disciple requires that Jesus be first place in your heart and in your life, or you cannot be his disciple. But then Jesus here gives conditions where someone might try to wiggle out of. They might try to find exceptions to verse 34. Is there a way that I can do verse 34, but then go do what I want to go do? And we see in verses 35 through 38, he's saying, no, you can't. I want you to see the expectations of what it means to be a disciple. We see first that, that Jesus must be, number one, more precious than your life. He must be more precious than your life. If you're unwilling to surrender your life to Christ, if you choose sin and self over Jesus, then you will receive eternal death. Verse 35, Jesus says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Jesus here is being abundantly clear. You have to say, Jesus, you're more important than my own life. Secondly, we see that being a disciple means Jesus must be more precious than your possessions. Verse 36, Jesus says, for what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? If you want to save your life, if you want comfort and wealth and safety and the things of this world more than you want Christ, then you cannot be his disciple. To gain the whole world and reject Jesus is to lose your soul in hell. Jesus is going on record with abundant clarity of what it means to be his disciple. And it means that he must be more precious than your own life. He must be more precious to you than your possessions. And then thirdly, Jesus must be more precious than man's praise. We see here in verse 38 where Jesus lays out for us what it means to be a disciple in regards to how we relate with the rest of the world and how they think of us. We're going to spend the rest of our morning here focusing on verse 38. Scripture says this in Mark chapter 8. Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now for the audience listening to this sermon, Jesus is warning them of the danger of being ashamed of him, of being embarrassed by him. But notice what Jesus calls them, verse 38, adulterous. Now, this is not primarily sexual adultery. This is spiritual adultery. Jesus is calling out the spiritual condition of the first century culture. These are a people whose hearts were not faithful to the Lord. The book of Hosea tells the story of the the prophet Hosea and his marriage to Gomer. Gomer was an unfaithful wife. She continually cheated on her husband. And Jesus used this marriage relationship to say, this is what it looks like between me and my people. I am a faithful husband and my people are adulterous. They are spiritually turning their hearts away from me. And what we see here in the text is Jesus is the true and greater Hosea who is calling out the Jews around him saying, you are being unfaithful to me. I am the faithful bridegroom and you are being the unfaithful bride. And Jesus here is saying, if you're going to follow me, you must realize who you are and that I am your husband who loves you and cares for you and protects you. And yet you continually are turning your hearts away from me. They were not trusting in the Lord. Well, some of this crowd here were Pharisees. Some of them were Sadducees, all of whom they thought they were faithful. They lived outwardly moral lives. They were good moral people. They had ethics. They prayed. They went to the synagogue, and yet their hearts were far from the Lord. You see, moral people who do not know Jesus still go to hell. This is what we see here. Isaiah 64 says all of our good works are like filthy rags before the Lord. 
And if being a good person was enough to gain eternal life, then Jesus died in vain. And parents, we've got to be careful here. If you are teaching your children to be moral, to make good choices, apart from the gospel, apart from Jesus, then you are raising a Pharisee. You see, the aim here is not trying to be a good person. The aim is to turn the heart towards Christ, who then makes you a good person. And Jesus is calling out the generation around him. These Jews, these Pharisees, and these Sadducees, and says this is a sinful, this is an adulterous generation. These are a people who are not faithful to me. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to be willing to go against the grain of what the rest of the world is doing. Maybe you find yourself as maybe just like one of the Pharisees or one of the Jews. You're trying to be a good person. You're trusting in your good works before God, thinking that you are good enough to inherit eternal life. But here's reality. You're never going to reach God's standard of perfection. You must be perfect, and none of us qualify. But Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. He came and obeyed his Father perfectly without any hint of sin. Jesus was righteous in all of his ways, and he died in your place. Jesus at the cross was punished as you and I deserve so that we don't have to be. He took the sin that was supposed to be placed upon you and it was placed upon him at the cross. And Jesus offers to you in the gospel himself. Believe upon me. Trust in me and you will be saved. So either you will receive Jesus or you will reject Jesus. The choice is yours. But Please understand, whatever decision you make, it has consequences. See, the point Jesus is making in verse 38 is, if you reject the Son now, the Son will reject you later. Feel the weight of this. Jesus is warning that at his return, verse 38, he will be ashamed of those who were ashamed of him. And those who turn their back on the Lord three times in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, they will be cast out into utter darkness. Oh, that you would heed the invitation of Jesus today. That you would surrender your life, you would bank your soul completely upon him and what he did for you in the gospel. So what does faithfulness look like? What does being a faithful follower of Christ mean? I'll put this in your notes. The first is this. Being a faithful follower of Jesus means being unashamed of Jesus. Look at verse 38. Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me. That first warning Jesus gives is of those who are ashamed of him, those whose hearts are not settled towards him. He's saying, in essence, if you're embarrassed by me, if what I did for you on the cross brings shame to your life, if you're worried about your reputation on account of me, then that's exactly the way that I will view you on the last day. 
In Matthew 10, verse 32, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Question, have you publicly acknowledged your faith in Jesus Christ? You know, one of the ways that the New Testament teaches that we acknowledge our faith in Christ publicly is through baptism. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your next step is baptism by immersion, in which you are publicly declaring, I want everyone to know I'm following Christ. If you've not made that decision, maybe that's the next step that you need to take. And we as a faith family want to help you take that next step. We can make it happen on a Sunday morning gathering in a safe environment in which you can publicly declare, I'm following Jesus Christ. What about your teammates, your coworkers, your neighbors? Do they know that you follow Jesus? When I was in college, for one year, I served as a resident advisor in a dormitory on the campus of University of Kentucky. And we had to show up a week early for training. And at this training, we did all kinds of stuff like trust falls and different activities to build t- team chemistry and unity. And one, one of the things we did on the last day is they put all of us in a circle and they wanted us to say just one word that would describe a characteristic that we were going to bring to the team. And so if you can imagine, we were like a big huddle, and then you would put your hand in and say, this is the, the one characteristic I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be for our team. And so one person would say teamwork, and then another person said leadership, and another person said kindness. And so I put my hand in, and I said, Jesus. Well, on the other side of the circle was the lady who's in, char- in charge of the whole program, and she looked at me with disdain. And she put her hand in and said, tolerance. And then she snarled at me. Y'all, she snarled at me. And then everybody looks at me. Have you ever had like back sweat where you get nervous of like, what's everybody's looking at me? Like that's what was happening. And my mind was, that's not very tolerant, right? Okay, so I'm, I'm processing all of this. You see, when you're put in that situation, you already need to have verse 38 settled in your hearts. You need to go ahead and make up your mind that when you're going to publicly acknowledge Christ, if you're going to stand for Jesus, you need to be prepared for those to push back against you. That's what Jesus is warning here. Are you going to be ashamed of me? You see, there's going to be a temptation for you and for me to want this. To get the praise of man. To hear people praise us for how great we are. What a great idea. You're such a good athlete. You're so beautiful. And then all of a sudden that praise, it becomes addictive. We want more of it. We want the crowds to be larger. We want more important people to be clapping and, and cheering us on. And all of a sudden, in order for us to get the world to clap for us, we have to do what they do. We have to agree with what they agree with. And what Jesus is saying here, you can't have both. You see, if you're seeking the praise of man, you're in danger. You are in danger of a snare. You see, seeking the praise and affirmation of the world to the neglect of faithfulness to Jesus is 
damning. If you continually seek after the approval of the world, it can ultimately send you to hell. Do not seek after the praise of people who do not give a rip about Jesus. Why in the world would you care what people think about you who do not love your Savior? And you know what often keeps people from being audacious? What keeps people from being bold for Christ? Fear of man. Fear of man is what comes to the point where you say, I care more what other people think about me than what God thinks about me. If you're afraid of not being liked by the world, if you crave popularity, if you want to be liked by everyone, then fear of man has a grip on you. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. You see, a snare is a trap. Hunters use a snare to catch an animal or a bird. It's a dangerous and deadly device. You see, if you live your life worried what everybody else thinks about you, you will always live in bondage. But you are kept safe when you trust in the Lord because he has already gone on record of what he thinks about you. He loves you. He cares for you. He has adopted you. You are received by Christ. You are accepted by Christ. You are treasured by Christ. And in Christ, if he were picking a kickball team, he would pick you every time. That's how he views you. So when the time comes at the Coke machine, at the lunch table, at the water cooler, at the barbershop, over the fence talking to a neighbor, are you going to be bold and audacious? Are you going to be ashamed of Jesus? Or will you stand firm and acknowledge him before men? You see, when you fear what people think about you more than you fear God, you are in trouble. And that's what Jesus is getting at in verse 38. Do you care what more what other people think about you than what God thinks about you? You see, you cannot love God and fear people. So who do you fear? Better yet, whose praise do you want? Why don't you choose the praise of a Savior who's not ashamed of you? If you go back in the Gospel of Mark to chapter 3, we see where Jesus, he's teaching in someone's house, and the crowd is so large that people in the back can't get to him. Well, Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers and sisters show up, and they want to see Jesus. And so kind of like the game of telephone, they pass word in to Jesus to let them know, hey, your mom and your brothers and sisters are outside. And Jesus says, who are my brothers and sisters? Who is my mother? And he looks around at the people around him who are his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. And he goes on to say, whoever does the will of God is my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says that Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother. So beloved, let us be a people who are unashamed of the Savior 
who is not ashamed of us. Let us run and publicly declare that I belong to Jesus because he publicly went on record at the cross to show how much he's unashamed of me. He was unashamed to take your shame. He went on record at the cross to say, I want you to know how much I care about you. I'm making a way for you to be restored back into a right relationship with God. You trust in me. Bank your soul upon the cross and all that I have done for you in my resurrection. You trust in me and I will not be ashamed of you. Question, will you be ashamed of him? Well, the second truth that we see here in the text is that not only being a faithful follower of Jesus means being unashamed of Jesus, but number two, being a faithful follower of Jesus means being unashamed of the Bible. Look at verse 38. Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words. It's interesting here. Jesus isn't only calling for allegiance to him, but also allegiance to his words. Why? Well, it's because you can't separate Jesus from his word. You see, all of scripture is God-breathed. It is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. The word of God is good and perfect and trustworthy. Every word is true and without error. From Genesis to Revelation, it's the word of Christ. You see, the entire Bible is red letter. The entire scriptures is the word of Christ. Now, there are those who do not like certain parts of scripture. They pick and choose what they like and then discredit or discard what they don't. But I have found that people who reject the Bible do so not because the Bible contradicts itself, but because the Bible contradicts them. They don't like what the word has to say about their life. And if you pick and choose what you like and don't like in scripture, it's not God that you're worshiping, but yourself. And question is, who are you to pick and choose what you like in scripture and what you don't like? Are you omniscient? Are you all-knowing? No. Who are we to be an authority over Scripture by trying to declare what is and is not the Word of God? You see, this is why one of the reasons as your pastor, I believe it is good for your soul for us to walk through books of the Bible, verse by verse, looking to see what God has revealed in chronological order with a purpose. Because when we go verse by verse, we can't skip over certain parts. We can't say, you know what, I don't agree with this, I don't agree with that, so we're going to go around it. You can't skirt all of God's truth. And Jesus is wondering, are you going to be ashamed of my words? Are you going to balk when it comes to seeing who I am and now how, how I have revealed myself? Now, we take breaks as a faith family from book studies. We'll do a topical series and do expository work, expository work looking at different texts. But it matters that as a healthy church, we have an overall diet of the Bible. And what's amazing is that as you study the Word of God, you begin to fall in love with the character of God. In Psalm 19, verse 7, the Scripture says, The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Isn't it amazing here? God calls his word perfect and sure, verse 7. Right and pure, verse 8. Clean and true, verse 9. Desired and sweet, verse 10. But you see, these words not only describe God's word, they also describe the character of God. For God is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, then you cannot be ashamed of my words because all of scripture is about me. You see, Jesus affirms all of scripture and interprets it in light of himself. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, the scriptures testify about me. Question, are you ashamed of Jesus' word? Are you embarrassed by the Bible's teaching on homosexuality, marriage, gender, and sex? Are you embarrassed by the Bible's teaching on racism, caring for the poor, caring for those who are immigrants and those who are outcasts? Are you embarrassed by the scripture's clear teaching on hell, abortion, salvation, injustice? Beloved, if you're gonna be his disciple, you must gladly, joyfully, willingly submit yourself to all of scripture and all that it entails. If you're going to be faithful to Scripture, y'all, you've got to be prepared to be called names. You're going to be called names if you're going to do this. You're going to be called names like bigot, Marxist, an idiot, narrow-minded. You see, faithfulness to Jesus means you will be mocked, excluded, made fun of, have people who talk about you behind your back. You're going to lose social status. You may miss out on promotions and experience other sufferings for the cause of Christ. But note who is calling you the names, verse 38, this adulterous and sinful generation. You see, Jesus is using that phrase to describe the insanity of seeking the praise of the world. He's like, why in the world would you choose their praise over mine? But if you do, then please understand that on the last day, when I return, I will not return praise, but rather the opposite. You see, don't look now, but the adulterous and sinful generation describes the culture in which you and I now live. 
Our world rejects the authority of Christ and his exclusive claims. The question you have to answer is this, whose voice is louder in my heart, Jesus or the world? And hear me, you have to choose. When you are in front of coworkers, when you're in front of your boss, do you wince back? Do you hold back your fidelity and passion for Christ? Or are you going to be a bold witness for Jesus, audacious in your faith, one who declares that I'm not ashamed of the gospel? You see, when his life was on the line, the apostle Paul told the Roman church in Romans 1:16, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel." For it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew, then also for the Gentile. You never know what God may do through your faithful witness. So when I left college or got out of college, I got a job as a banker. And during the training of this banking job that I was getting, I would go each day for a week, eight to five, and they would train me on all the ins and outs of the banking world. But each day I would take with me uh, my Bible. And this, is, this was it right here. Um, I used to call it my, my pocket knife. It's just, okay, that's silly, forget it. But it fit perfectly in my back pocket. I'd take it with me wherever I go, memorize scripture, and have time just to get in the word. Now the font is so small I can't read it anymore. But it was it's a good reminder to me about how the Lord used this because when I was going to training, I would sit at my chair and I would just slide it under my chair and people started looking at that, like, what is, what is that? And me just having the word with me at my workplace, it afforded me some very rich gospel conversations. There was a man in there who approached me and he said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, sir. And it then led to a rich conversation about the gospel. He too was called to ministry and was working through that calling. And my boldness led to him wanting to be more bold in his new job to try and point people to Jesus. You have no idea the impact that you will make on coworkers and their families just by being a bold witness, being unashamed of Jesus. When you take a bold stand for Jesus, watch what will happen. It will stiffen the spines of those around you. Other believers will be like, oh my goodness, man, he's standing firm for Christ. I can too. Man, she's unashamed. How about me? Watch how the Lord will use your obedience to encourage and challenge other believers to step up and stand firm for Christ. The question is, are you ashamed of him? When you're on the football team, do your teammates know that you're passionately following Christ? When you're at your staff meeting, do your people know where you stand, that you're hidden in Jesus? When you're out in the community, do you model the gospel by the way you speak? By the social media posts that you're making right now, does it model humility and the love of God and love of neighbor? Does the gospel permeate your life? If the answer is no, then verse 38 is our call to say, Lord, I want to be unashamed of you and I want to walk in obedience to your commands and I want to make sure the world knows where I stand with you. Because reality is, Jesus is coming back. Verse 38, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when, not if, 
when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus is pointing forward to the day of Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man approaches the Ancient of Days, and millions upon millions of angels will be there. And it is in that moment that those who have been ashamed of Jesus will receive his rejection. Some of you are thinking, I've got to be cool. I've got to be accepted. I've got to be liked by everyone around me. Well, on that last day when Jesus returns and you stand before him, if you have rejected him, if you have been ashamed of him on that last day, it won't be cool anymore. You won't be accepted anymore. The Son of Man the ancient of days, the millions upon millions of angels will turn their back upon you. And so the question that you need to settle right here and now is, am I ashamed of Jesus? But you see, reward in the future requires obedience today. If you want that last day when you stand before the Lord and give an account to be a great and glorious day, then it begins now by being unashamed of Jesus and his word. If you want to hold on to this life, if you want to hold on to the fake temporary praise of man, if you want to hold on to your possessions, you can do that. But on the last day, you are going to regret that. And Jesus here is warning, don't do that. So Kenneth, what are you calling us to do? It's your impact point, it's this. Decide now to boldly represent Jesus Christ in all of your life. You can receive that praise right now if you go according to the world. If you champion what they champion, you celebrate what they celebrate, you believe what they believe. Even though it's contrary to scripture, contrary to the word of Jesus, you can go and receive that praise. And then you will receive your reward right there. But if you are willing to turn your back on the ways of the world, if you will seek after the praise of Jesus, the enduring, the imperishable reward that is coming for you when you believe the gospel and you are unashamed of him, you will one day hear the eternal praise of Jesus saying, well done. Well, well done. Good and faithful.